and they lived happily ever after. This is The The Grimcast. Welcome back to The Grimcast. Today, we are talking about Season 1, Episode 20, Happily Ever Aftermath. Our guest today is the amazing and talented and wonderful Amanda Schul. And Bitsy's here. Bitsy's here. Hello. Hi, Bitsy. I missed you guys. We missed you. Have you wrapped for the season? I am wrapped for the season. <gasps> Congratulations. David is done. Congratulations on finishing your season. Thank you. I kind of forget sometimes that you're like the lead on a show working your damn butt off. It's great being a lead, but I will say one of the things Tyler and I got lucky with is that we're both leads on the series, but we have separate stuff to do on the show. Like Lois is being a journalist. He's off fighting bad guys and saving the world. So we typically get at least one or two days off an episode, both of us. And that's, you know, when I'm just filming all Lois stuff all day or he's shooting green screens and fight stuff all day. So it's not as intense as it was for David. I mean, it's long hours and I'm just exhausted because I have a young child. But David on Grimm had a really insane schedule. Yeah, you don't probably don't do a lot of nights. We do do nights sometimes, but not as many as a lot of the other shows up here did. Like Danielle did a lot of nights on The Flash and our showrunner was on The Flash and sees how hard that is for the crew. And so he sort of pointedly would do these big set pieces and big action sequences during the day. It's usually like if it's a premiere or a finale, we're doing stuff at night. It just looks better. But he's pretty good about writing epic stuff and cool, cool stuff within daylight. Mm-hmm. Today, we're talking about season one, episode 20, Happily Ever Aftermath. Nick and Hank are called to investigate the mysterious death of a wealthy matriarch after her stepdaughter loses everything in a Ponzi scheme. Meanwhile, Juliet does some digging into the mysterious death of Nick's parents in an effort to help him find closure. You were really on the case in this one, Bitsy. Yeah. You know, he didn't need to go to his like fully trained staff in like actual detectives. His veterinarian surgeon beautiful partner slash baker she just made some phone calls she made some phone calls she made that happen yeah but i was also just like she made a phone call (laughs) that was (laughs) that was what did it she made a phone call maybe nick could have made a phone call i don't know this is my favorite of the fairy tale adaptations i think they just did yes so far i agree such a good job we had amazing guest stars amanda shull who's a dear friend of mine and who's known David since college, actually. They both went to IU. She played Lucinda Jarvis and then David Clayton Rogers, who was Arthur Jarvis, and Tom Raitt, who was Spencer Harrison. So a lot of great guest stars, too. And it was our showrunners, David Greenwald and Jim Kauf, who wrote it. And it was directed by Terrence O'Hara, whom we all absolutely adore. It was great. This was such a great episode. Where do you think those big fancy houses were? They were in the Portland Heights, like where you were, Bree, like up on the hill. Yeah. I think they were all yeah. just like so many mansions up there. I thought so too. It's like up in like Skyline area. Yeah, yeah. That area of Portland is so just mansions on the top of a hill. It's just very classic. <laughs> it's so classic. What was that mansion that you could go and walk around in and they had beautiful gardens? Yes, yes. But that was more off Burnside, wasn't it? Like, Oh, yeah. That was really high up. Up the highway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the title quote and loose plot come from the classic fairy tale Cinderella. 
This was also one of my favorite straight up adaptations that we did. And I think Amanda was just so perfect for it. And then another fun fact about this episode, murciélago comes from the Spanish word meaning bat, and it's the first Spanish vessin name used in the show. Many more to come down the road. We did talk while we were interviewing Amanda about why was it used in this episode. We're like, were there any bats? I don't understand. I don't know. Hey, this is a little Easter egg for the fans if you're watching this episode. The first scene where the husband... Prince Charming comes in and he drops his key. I was actually thinking like there should be like a valet on that table for keys. Like the way he just like loosely put his keys on the table, like he should have a holder in that fancy house to like put yeah, your keys in. Key but bowl. in that scene- I didn't even notice that, yeah. Oh, like those are the things I pay attention to. I'm like, there <laughs> needed to be a valet on that table. There's a T on the ground, which is when you're shooting a TV show, we are shooting anything on screen. Each character has a specific color and that color, they use tape on the ground and they make a little T. So that was his mark and he had to hit that spot. Had to hit that spot. And nobody flagged it on the day. They left that T on the ground. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else to say? Well, we did learn something in the storyline that there was a previously unknown person, Akira Kimura, who was revealed to have been involved in the murder of Kelly and Reed Burkhart. Yeah, I forgot when we saw his face that he becomes an important person. He has a cool looking face, a handsome guy. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, were you guys like really nervous when the Godfather started talking about Nick being a grim in front of Hank and there was this whole moment? Were you guys really nervous? Because I was really nervous. Oh yeah, playing the insanity card. Russell did a great job of, there was like things like flickering across his face that then he decided, <laughs> no, nah, not yet. I'm not gonna. I think Russell had a little callback to that in the last scene when they just bring that prop to the sergeant's office, which was like, were you gonna fit that in those... um tiny library boxes that we discovered in the evidence room. <laughs> like like no one just like just comes in and just starts like moving you shit can around. You just pull evidence from, yeah, yeah. I think we've seen seeds planted with Hank. Yeah. Of like, what is going on? Like something. And also I was noticing too, like eventually Hank's going to be like, why is Nick always running off and leaving me to tend to the victim? Like Nick is always <laughs> running off. And, you know, that comes up as the seasons go by, is like Hank eventually is going to start to ask some real questions. He's still getting over his heartbreak from Adeline. 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 <laughs> Adeline. The other thing was all the prop wedding photos, because when I saw this at the beginning, I was like, oh, that is my least favorite thing to do. Uh, I hate taking fake prop photos. I it's hate it It's such a dumb thing, but I don't know why I hate it so much. It's like, this yeah. is, I really. I do too. Almost as much as I don't like walking around a room in my underwear pretending to be cute in a scene. Like, it's just <laughs> like, that's my other least favorite thing to do. <laughs> Our guest today played the villainous Lucinda on this week's episode. It is my dear, gorgeous, smart, funny, witty, incredible friend, Amanda Scholl. Hi! <laughs> Yay! I didn't want to text you last night and pest you and be like, will you be there tomorrow morning, yeah. Bitsy Tullock? <laughs> How do you and Bitsy know each other? Because I know you guys are close. I want to say when I first met you, David knew you. David had worked with you a couple times, I think. David and I have known each other since like 2008 or nine. 
Wow. Yes. We met in Monaco. Oh, as you do. Oh. <laughs> we were up there for the um, International TV Fest. Okay. I had been twice on my own, and I just brought girlfriends each time. And then the third time, David and I went together. He had this enormous mustache because he had just finished filming 13 Hours for Michael I Bay. about that ridiculous mustache. <laughs> and I was begging him to shave it off. I liked it on him. He was loving it because it was just thick and lush and shiny and he was like shiny yeah Ew. is that a characteristic one wants with the mustache i don't know it just looked like a healthy manly mustache yeah no he's virile yeah i thought he looked like you know a porn star from the 70s and i was like get rid of it which is why he liked it which is why he liked yeah. it. you are making his case for him but amanda and i really bonded and then i think we must have started hanging out in la after that um Oh, this is funny. So one time, George and David and Amanda and I go out to dinner. George is my husband. Who's awesome. And he's so <laughs> funny and he's so sweet. But we're out to dinner and I had just gotten something called a V peel or a VI peel. It's like a light chemical peel. <laughs> we're out to dinner at like a fancy restaurant. And I thought I was in the clear for like one more day. And then at some point, everyone's just stops talking and is kind of staring at me, but not trying to make a deal. <laughs> my skin over my meal had yes, just I'm started gag. peeling I'm off. Gag. <laughs> like I was like molting. You're like that Austin Powers character where his skin comes off in sheets. <laughs> and didn't I leave and you guys finished dinner? No, no, no. I think you got up and went to the ladies' room for a second. <laughs> to, like, fix what I could. <laughs> but you're not supposed to touch it, right? You just have to leave it hanging. Well, it was doing the job for her. Oh, that is so <laughs> gross. It was so gross. <laughs> I have a couple really great Amanda stories. Uh-oh. Another one was a month before I was giving birth, Amanda and I were having dinner at my house. And later, much later, like, it was kind of wrapping up anyway. I went up to use the bathroom, and I was, like, bleeding really heavily. So I didn't want Amanda to have to take me to the hospital. Right. The person who's there, who's totally capable. <laughs> yeah, I know you could have, but I was like, oh, I don't want to do that to her. So I basically was like, bye, Amanda. I'm really tired. I'm suddenly really tired. I got kicked out really yeah. fast. Yeah. I'm like, I love you so much. Thanks for coming. Bye. And then I called Lynn. Lynn was like, I'll be there in 10 minutes. Don't move. So Lynn comes over and coincidentally had an appointment at Cedar side Eye the next morning. So she was like, I'm just sleeping here overnight with you. And that way I don't have to drive back to Cedars for my appointment oh in the morning. God. I came over, we played cards. Aww. You came over and then we were playing cards at like 2 a.m. while we were waiting to see. And the whole night they were trying to get me to have a C-section. Oh my God. I kept calling David and his phone wasn't ringing. His phone was like off. And I'm like, oh my God, I have a month left till I'm giving birth. He's in Vancouver filming. Mm. So I was like, David, the next day, I'm like, make it so that if I call you twice, it wakes you up so you can get on an airplane and come down if there's an emergency. And then also, and we love this because it was so helpful to us too, but Manda reached out at some point during the pandemic because Patterson was like a baby. I want to say it was like June or something that you went to our house in Washington, which we could not get to because we were locked in Canada filming. Like I couldn't leave to cross the border to get groceries and come back. I had to quarantine for two weeks and we were filming, so I couldn't quarantine for two weeks. So you'd reached out. I know it was hard, not only having a child at you know the height of the pandemic, we we're like, yes, go up to Washington. 
And then I think in the beginning, there wasn't even furniture in the house. There were mattresses on the ground. Yeah. And because of the <laughs> pandemic, everything shut down and we couldn't ship anything. You hadn't had an opportunity to do anything yet. Yeah. And then you brought dear Rupert up who, I don't know, he was probably 16. He was almost 17. Yeah. My sweet dog, yeah. my senior dog, and my infant. And wow. we drove 20 plus hours to Washington and moved in. I remember we FaceTimed you as soon as we walked in because we were like the promised land. And we walked in, <laughs> we walked in. And the first thing George says is, so when do squatters rights kick in? Like we were so like excited. And I remember going out into your backyard and picking blueberries. And I sent you a photo of blueberries in my hand. And David wrote back, he was like, we have a blueberry bush. Like, and then he was like, we have a backyard. <laughs> oh my gosh. I remember you saying my friend who just had a baby is moving in and that's you. I didn't realize it was you. Yeah, it was fantastic. Oh my gosh. So should we talk about like the episode? <laughs> oh, yeah, I was just going to say. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. I never saw this episode. I hadn't seen this episode either. This episode was so good. Maybe it's because you and I weren't in it. <laughs> so you were like, bullshit, 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 my episode. Bullshit, bullshit. <laughs> also, Amanda, like you got me. <laughs> I was so shocked by the turn. Yeah. Because then I went back a little bit. The look when you're with the husband at the door which is like the last moment before. And like you have this little look on your face, but it's like telling nothing. It's just the slightest little that you I, don't notice unless you too. know what's happening. It's like, oh, it's so good. I'm so tickled. Oh, thank you. I wrote down because at first I was like, oh, God, she's the perfect Disney princess. Like she is like, yeah. she's so perfect. And then I scratched it. I was like, evil Elsa, evil Elsa. <laughs> She's evil. She has powers and she's going to use them to kill everybody. It was everything I wanted it to be. You know, Jim and David wrote this episode and yeah, I never saw anything coming. You know, all the themes, obviously this was one of my favorite fairy tales growing up, but like, it was just so fun. It was so fun and nothing felt cheesy. Mm -hmm. It was like exactly how you want it to be, but just enough of what you know. And like, it just was handled so beautifully. I think this was my favorite reimagining of a fairy tale. Yeah. Tell us, Amanda, how did this role come to you? Yeah. When did you first hear about Grimm? Because I don't know if they know that I auditioned for your role. Oh, really? Uh -huh. <laughs> oh, that's some good gossip. That's a twist. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. So she heard about it around when I heard about it. Yeah. So very, very beginning. So that pilot season, Grimm was one of the new shows that was auditioning. And I had pilot tests for three other shows. So I didn't have time to go in for Grimm to do the preliminary audition. And somehow I weaseled my way in to like the work session. That's a baller move right there. Yeah. So you hadn't auditioned at all mm -mm. until the work session? Yes. That's like unheard of. Just on the hot list. Yeah. It was bizarre. I don't know how I finagled that one. Right. But so I had a terrible cold and I was talking like this and like snot just <laughs> dripping down my face. And I go into the work session and David was there and Sean was there and I was like cotton for brains and not well. And David is a friend of mine, obviously, and David's giving me the look like, I got you, like we can do this, you know? And I'm about to start and I can just feel snot dripping. And I <laughs> so distinctly remember this. And this is like, what, like 12 years later. I go, excuse me, 
And I turn around and I go, <laughs> and just like, just sucked it all back in. And then I turned back around and I was like, ready. <laughs> start this audition. And in hindsight, that was oh, probably um, not the best first impression to make. Oh my God. I didn't get a phone call afterward. And... <laughs> Not surprisingly. <laughs> Half the room got sick, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah, oh, my God. And then, obviously, David went on to start shooting. And I watched every single episode of the show because I was like, I am going to get on this show. And I need to make sure that I'm caught up. Oh, my gosh. Ooh, manifest oh my that gosh. business. Right. Yes. And what's really bananas about this particular episode is that Donna, the casting director, actually called me herself. I think this must have been somebody else's role. And it fell through. That's my feeling. I don't know for sure. That's my favorite way to get a job. Yeah. That's how I got this job. Is it? Yes. I was choice number two. They will never admit to that. But I was second choice. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, you just don't want to fight to take someone's job away from them. What comes around goes around. Totally. You want to lift each other up and you want to do your best work and win the role as you should. But if somebody else isn't available or if somebody else isn't prepared... That's what this business is. It's getting the job that was meant to be yours. Also, though, Amanda, I know you had had a rough test session. Yes. But I vaguely recall being told that Greenwald and Jim had wanted to bring you back for a guest star at some point. Oh, that's nice. They're like, it didn't work out for a series reg, but we really like this actress, this phlegmy actress, and (laughs) we uh, would like to offer her a role when she's fully recovered from this disease. As are we. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I like about coming in in that manner? Because there's just so much overthinking that happens in this testing process. And I don't know how these things work in this new landscape of streaming, but there's so many cooks in the kitchen. I think people's first hit on somebody is usually the right one. And then all this talking happens, all this mental chatter starts happening during that testing process. And it turns into a lot of other things that aren't just about the acting, right? And so sometimes when you come in last minute, I mean, that's how I came in last minute on the way I got onto Grimm. You don't have time to overthink it. Well, both of you ladies came on as guest stars, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I knew I had um, a reoccurring deal, but it wasn't for a series regular. And that's sort of a great way because you test the waters. It's the best. Also, let's not give everyone all the power. Like, do I want to be committed to this show for, you know, X amount of years? I don't know what it's like now, but when you used to test, before you even walk into the room, you sign a contract for seven seasons. I know. It's so crazy. I think it's still done that way. But for me, it's always been a six-year deal. And then had Grim gone seven, part of the reason I think they were like, let it go, is that the cast would have all been able to renegotiate. Right. Because we didn't have a seventh year on our contract. Mm-hmm. And all of these shows up here, all of the actors really got significant pay raises when they agreed to add on a seventh year. Well, some shows, if the show does really well, even by season like three, if it's doing really well, actors have a little bit of agency. Yeah, it's usually between three and four that an actor can renegotiate. Yeah. So Donna called you and so did you get an offer? I remember where I was. I was walking my dog 
And she called me herself, which has never happened. Yeah, that's crazy. Which is why I think something fell through. And she was like, I don't remember the specifics because it was a while ago. But I think I had to fly the next morning. Oh, yeah. Someone fell through. (laughs) Yeah, someone (laughs) fell through. And so I think she was like, "Uh, can this happen? And should I start putting the things into the works right now? Yeah. And so I flew the next day. And it's the only time in my life for a guest star because it was a long guest star too. It was over two weeks that I was up there. But George was going to Australia. My husband was going to Australia either the next day or the following day. And so it's the only time I've ever brought Rue with me to work. And so Rupert and I went up to Oregon. I had never been there before. It's gorgeous and had a little mom and dog workation. Was he in the trailer? Yeah. That was a dog-friendly set. I think Henry didn't accompany me to set in six years on Grimm twice. And I don't recall why. Like, I think those were days when I was going to be on location for 16 hours, not able to go back to my trailer because the trailers were so far away. And so I just hired a dog sitter. But every other day I worked, he was in the trailer. I had an open door policy, like go in and pet him. He was our mascot. Yeah. We were interviewing my girlfriend, Danielle Panabaker, a couple weeks ago. She had brought her little poodle, Bella. And I remember going by a lot with Henry and seeing Bella. So it was luckily a dog-friendly set because they're not all like that. No, they're not. And there are more protocols now regarding bringing dogs to set. Yes. Amanda, I'm kind of tripping out that you're just jumped in this gig because your handle on the role was like so developed, it felt. Yeah. Oh, thanks. I'm like, oh, she was able to spend so much time creating this take on this character. It felt so grounded and like so thought out. And so to hear that you just like jumped in, like, how did that work? I'm naturally really creepy. <laughs> no. Did you talk to Terrence, your director? Did you talk to anyone? Because I had a li- similar where I was hired and then on a plane like two days later and then, you know, building a role that I didn't know, but I definitely had a little understanding like it mattered, the choices I was going to make. Mm-hmm. But no one talked to me. <laughs> like no one talked to me. And I just like decided these things. Having such a quick turnaround, did you have any conversations with your director or the writers or just like you just decided this is what I'm doing? I don't remember that. But as I said, I was familiar with the show. But up until that point, I'm not sure what this says about me, but up until that point was cast quite often as the bad guy. (laughs) I am I'm very familiar with being the bad guy and being like the unsuspecting bad guy. That's amazing because meeting you now, you like are so lovely and real (laughs) and like fun and great. It's always that way, right? I used to be the one always pulled out of line and like frisked at the airport for drugs. (laughs) Like I was the mule. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Always. I used to dance ballet professionally. And when we would tour, we'd always be standing in line together and I'd see the people coming toward the line and be like, oh, not again. Here we go. <laughs> Risk me. Like, always, always. That is oh so weird. <laughs> On Grimm, what was your first impression of everyone? What was set like for you? My first day working was the day you all found out you were getting a season two. Oh, oh so a happy day. Oh, a happy wow. day for all. Yeah. It was a great day on set. And everyone was really enthusiastic and When a show finds out that it's going further, the weight is lifted. And obviously, everyone's doing their best all the time, all the days. But there's a sense of validation. My impression was that everyone felt lighter. And I remember going up to David and be like, congratulations. How exciting. And David in his very like 
blah. He's like, yeah, you know, completely dry and non-enthusiastic but inside he was probably like you know butterflies i think david was so tired <laughs> i was probably. gonna say so like oh god i mean this is episode 20 out of 22 like yeah i think he was probably yeah. he probably was like i don't know if i can do this again yeah i don't know if i can do another season <laughs> david didn't have a day off until season three i think wow. he was just in every scene I like David in this episode. There were a lot of really nice moments for him. Yeah. yeah. Do you like to do fight scenes and do you do your own stunts? I do like fight scenes a lot, actually. I was on a show called 12 Monkeys on Sci-Fi. And my character has this beautifully constructed arc written by our creator, Terry Metalis, who also show ran starting season two. And my character is a doctor and she starts out in the beginning of the first season, very unwilling to do harm, basically, with her Hippocratic Oath. Starting second season, a lot has happened and she's willing to fight to the death for anything. And so I got to do fight training and weapons training, the sense of empowerment and using your body. I would imagine being a dancer, you had a pretty fast entry there. Yes, but it's also a different way to move. Uh -huh. And there's something cathartic about using your body and not just using your words. It's just very comfortable for me. And so when I did Grimm, I hadn't yet done any of the training or any of that. That was many years off, but I get excited when I know that I have to do that. Obviously, I didn't do all of that. I remember the ladies doing the stunt coming out of the window at the end of the episode. Oh, yeah. 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 I remember sitting there watching that happen. That was a good stunt. That was a good stunt. That land was kind of amazing. I had to rewatch the stepmother coming off the balcony and like, clearly that was a dummy, but I was like, that is awful. <laughs> like, that's an awful fall. Like, she is dead for sure. Like, just, if her like, organs really hadn't terrible. exploded yet. But it makes sense that you had watched the show because it's going to say, like, your morph was so natural seeming. Oh, why? Thank you. Yeah, not everybody could morph easily. Not everybody could morph. Yeah, some people had a hard time with that. You know, it was funny. They complimented me on that the first time I did it. And then I felt like this onus to, like, really turn it up a notch the next <laughs> time I did it. And I remember my neck hurting when I got home and being like, maybe I should just take the compliment and like not feel like I need to one-up. Yeah. You overdid it, girl. Yeah. Did they show you what your character or what your monster was going to look like? I think so. And I remember being like, that's gross. And the image of me with the teeth and like the yeah. hair, just absolutely grotesque, is the screenshot that comes up when I call one of my friends still <laughs> to this day. <laughs> oh, that's so great. I love that moment when you were in front of the sister's car. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the one that comes up when I call my friend Jake. Can I mention something about the episode? I rewatched it last night and I had some wackadoodle dreams and I kept waking up and being like grim like throughout the night. And my husband actually reminded me when we were watching the episode when David gets out like the hand, I forget what it's called in oh, the episode, yeah. that hand crank. And I'm standing in the window looking down on him and he's like hand cranking away, like churning butter <laughs> down at the moon. I started to laugh so hard at David and he was giving me the eye like, stop it, stop it, stop it. And he was like hand cranking. 
from the bottom. And my husband reminded me, he was like, didn't you like find that incredibly hilarious? And I was like, you're right. I did. I loved it. Poor David. That was a really funny, silly contraption. But then they gave it over to evidence. And like, it, what yeah. happens if they need it again? You know, we didn't have any Murcielagos come back, did we? I don't remember. Yeah. Also, I didn't know how to pronounce that. Thank you. Yeah. It was just you, Amanda. I wonder why bat. Who? Was there something in the fairy tale with bats? I don't think there were any bats in Cinderella. No. I thought the sound at the beginning of the episode, that was a very cool sound effect when the creature is under the bed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was really gross. Eh. Mm -hmm. I was thinking they were going to be the mice. Oh. oh. Bats do make like a high-pitched sound and, and they're blind, right? So do they use like a- the echolocation. Yeah. Yeah, the echolocation. Yeah, we should ask Jim and David. You know, you had like the best of the best, right? Your episode, you had Jim and David, our creators, write this episode. I know, I fell into it very luckily. I was very happy to have gotten that role because also I got to wear some pretty clothes. Oh, you look great. Your body looks so great. Your clothes look so great. Oh my God. Yeah, when you were trying on all of your ball dresses. Oh, I remember- shooting that scene too and I had to take my clothes off and then like prance off of the little area oh. and they had blocked it off for the camera so I had to like run up to a sound guy and just like kind of like <laughs> like kind of press oh my, my body God. against Hold him. him. <laughs> <laughs> Hold each other but not like be off camera just but like, not to oh make my. a lot of contact. Yeah. yeah, gentle, just like a little barrier. There was going to see David like lurking in some corner that you had to go into while he's holding a door or holding a thing. Like, I, <laughs> mine was Brady, our other props, or Brady. Yeah, Brady would just be like right there, yeah. just like <laughs> I immediately thought Brady too. I think I've definitely had a few scenes like that in my career where I'm like in my underwear like walking around a room. And I thought you sold that really well because personally that's like I have the most dumb chills ever when like I have to like be sexy in my underwear like in a scene for somebody. I don't know. Like I'm like I have a hard time on screen doing that. And you really made that feel very genuine and <laughs> darling. And I was I like that's hard. That. People aren't going to underestimate how hard that is actually. But I mean, isn't it easier for you to be a character and do things that you would never do as Brie than like, I was very nervous to be on the podcast today because I'm me. Yeah. You know, but if I had come on as a character, then it's on the character. It's not on me. Oh, totally. I have to tell you, Amanda, I loved Center Stage. Oh, thank you. I think about you. Every time I walk to Lincoln Center, like every time I'm at Lincoln Center for a show, I've never met you, you know, like, but I have that image, which I know I'm sure you've heard thousands and thousands of times, but like, what a crazy thing to have experienced. It was. I am curious about this because I was a professional dancer as well. You know, I was ending my dance career because you did that around 2000, I saw. 1999, we filmed it. Yeah. Okay. So I was still dancing here in LA. And I was just starting my training and booking very small jobs as an actress, but still making my living as a dancer. And I remember when Center Stage came out, I wasn't a ballet dancer. I was a jazz, you know, LA type of dancer. And um, when Center Stage came out, that was like very big deal. I mean, I remember, I mean, I'm pretty sure there was a major casting here in town. Maybe. For that film, you know, Maybe. for the dancers, for like, you know, mm -hmm. the company in it. But it was definitely something we were all talking about. But like, how did that happen? I mean, that was you playing you in a movie about my world. Yeah. 
Yeah. I was in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely right place, right time. They sent a casting director actually across the country. They started in New York and they went to various companies. Were you in Hawaii or you were in? I was in San Francisco. I was in the school, in the San Francisco Valley School. And they wanted a professional dancer to play my character's role. First, they wanted an actress. They wanted a name actress. And they auditioned a handful of well-known actresses in L.A. who said they could also dance. And they could not. (laughs) And they couldn't dance to the level that they wanted my character to be able to dance. But at that time, I was lucky that these ladies didn't have enough dance experience because it led them to go to San Francisco and They auditioned first with the company and then the casting director went down to the lower level in the school and saw me. And I distinctly remember I was rehearsing for the end of the year showcase, which is when you basically auditioned to get a job. And I remember somebody coming in and whispering to the choreographer and she said, oh, we're going to have a big Hollywood director coming in today. And I remember thinking, this is it. Oh, yes, I love that. <laughs> oh, it's on. Like, I am going to oh jump higher. God. I am going to kick further. I am going to do what I need to do to get this person's attention. Oh, my God. I wow. love this. And I remember just being like, selling it. And it was like kind of a contemporary piece that did not need to be sold. <laughs> kind of like your morph. They're like, it's a little much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, dial it back to where you're not dislocating anything. And then afterward, one of my other teachers was giving me notes in the hall. And apparently she saw me getting a lot of the same corrections that my character got. And so I got the script. They brought me in. And I taped an audition, like between rehearsals, I was beat red, sweaty in a leotard. And I remember they gave me the sides. So for Jody, I read for Jody. And afterward, they wanted to get more of me on camera, but they didn't tell me exactly what was going on. She didn't tell me exactly what was going on. She asked me to go out into the hall and prepare another set of sides. And it was for Maureen, which is Susan May Pratt, who we know and love. And I remember saying to her, oh, I like this part better. Can I have this one? (laughs) Yeah. And how old were you? Like what? Like 23 or something? 20. I was 20. Wow. And turns out she just wanted more of me on film to send to her boss to read. But I remember thinking, oh, this other character has a lot more bite. I think I relate to this. This one, please. That's not (laughs) how how it works, honey. But that's the brilliance of youth and naivete. You know, you go in without any expectations, without pussyfooting around, without please and thank you. You go in with like this onus and agency and confidence. And maybe you're kicked down a few pegs. I heard a quote that Uta Hagen says, actors need to have the hide of a rhino and the heart of a rose or the soul of a rose. And when you're young, you kind of go in with this rhino hide and you're impervious to these kicks that you get. And sometimes you're right and you know yourself and you can prove yourself. And I still remember an audition I had years and years ago and I didn't end up getting the job, but I went in with this scene prepared where my character has had heart surgery and she's very self-conscious of the scar. And the director says, oh, I hate the writing in this scene. I don't even want to read it. And I remember feeling so protective about my work on that particular scene and saying to him, do you think I can change your mind? And he was like, "Uh, go for it. Give it a shot. Let me see what you got. And I read the scene and afterward he said, I'm going to keep the scene. Oh. 
And I have kept that in my pocket for a decade, even though I didn't get the job. Because it was like, sometimes you're right. And sometimes you know best what you're capable of bringing to a situation. Yeah. Oh, my God. Instead of trying to bend to what you think might be, you know, because that's the other part. Like the advice I give when people first get to town was like, be prepared, do all your stuff, but know like this is your moment. Nobody wants to miss the next big thing. And so I just remember those first couple of months, every room that you're walking into feels, or maybe this was in my imagination, but feels so receptive in this insane way. Like, show us what you got, kid, is kind mm-hmm. of how it feels. And so you do, like, I was a booking machine the first few months. And then it was like, oh, And then I took an acting class in L.A. I mean, I'd been to theater school like, and done theater my whole life. Took this acting class in L.A. that was like teaching me how to cold read or something. And then didn't work for a year, like full calendar year. Like I just remember that lesson or try to remember that lesson when you're getting these things. It's like maybe it's just not this thing that they want you to do is not you. So do the thing that it. Yeah. Well, at the end of the day, they just want to see you. Yeah. I mean, character work, only like five people can do that, really. At the end of the day, what we want to see is your heart, your pain, your vulnerability. Well, there's only one you, too. Yeah. I remember going to an audition once and thinking, this role is made for Constance Zimmer. (laughs) I love Constance. So do I. I didn't know her at the time, but Constance Zimmer should have this part. So I'm going to channel Constance Zimmer. Not Amanda Shul, not what I can bring to it. I'm going to channel Constance Zimmer. And I walked in and I signed in for the audition under Constance Zimmer. (laughs) Oh my God. What did you do? Did you poop your pants or were you like, yeah, I was like, how am I gonna out Constance Constance, (laughs) you know? Like, but you know, Uta Hagen actually says that a lot of just like this insecurity actors have to replicate, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. just replicate what they see. And it's like any part you play, you can do, you know, I mean, you're a human being. You have the capability to do a lot of things. And like just the belief in oneself. I have got to share this because we're sharing the like when you just had to speak up and you're like, this is mine. So I was at UCLA as a freshman and I was dancing. And I had a, you know, a great, quote, commercial face, I was told. So I got a commercial agent pretty easily. I was very fortunate. And I started going out for commercials and started booking them. And so I booked this commercial and they were looking for dancers, right? I go to the trailer. You know, we're sharing a trailer. There's like four of us. We're all playing dancers. And I was really, I had the hunger at this point, right? I was like, okay, I want to do this. I want to be in Hollywood and I want to really go for it, you know? And I was just thinking like, maybe I should think about being an actor, you know, as well. And so I was like, just total faith in myself and belief in myself. And we're in the trailer. And I don't even know what the commercial is for, honestly. (laughs) I just get hired to do this drug company commercial. And I know they had a huge budget. We're in the trailer and we're dressed up like little ballerinas. And the AD comes in and he's like, okay, we're adding a line. Who's going to say it? I just put my hand right up. I'll say the line and everyone's hands go up. And then he says the line out loud and everybody's hands starts slowly going down (laughs) because this is the line. I had pain, a discharge, and a sore. I thought it was another yeast infection. It wasn't. (laughs) It was for genital herpes. (laughs) And you said it. Oh, my hands stood stick straight. Everyone was like, no, thank you. I said that line. I got this gorgeous close-up. And honestly, it changed my life because I had this reel now of this 
commercial because the budget was like probably more than anyone had ever seen. And it was like basically the first thing I had to show anybody to like oh further get God. like an acting agent, all this stuff. <laughs> oh my God, though. I didn't even hesitate once I heard it. I just knew I could do it. <laughs> You're a stronger woman than I. <laughs> that is some ambition. And this also, by the way, I bought a condo off of what I made off that commercial. I made Ooh, so see? much money off that commercial. It aired nonstop while I was in my dorms. And everyone thought I actually had herpes because it was sold like a PSA because there weren't drug commercials yet. <laughs> you were so honest. You were so believable. That's why I got it. Like I was so honest. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. We've been talking about Center Stage and 12 Monkeys and you have been on quite a few popular shows. You were on Suits, you were on 12 Monkeys, you did Center Stage, you were on Pretty Little Liars, One Tree Hill. What do people usually recognize you from? I think I get Center Stage and Suits the most. Mm. Oh, wait, do you know Joy Lenz? Yeah, from One Tree Hill. Yeah, yes, of course. And she directed an episode I did of One Tree Hill also. A few of the cast members directed episodes and they were great. I love that show. Thank you for taking your time and you're so great. I just really, really enjoyed the show. And what a treat to get to see all of you ladies because I didn't get an opportunity to work with any of you while doing the episode. So what a treat for me. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much for doing this, Amanda. I love you and give my love to George and Patterson. I will please give our love to your beautiful family. And then not for nothing, I'm hugging you ladies too. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'll take it. Thank you so much, though. This is just wonderful, wonderful. Thank you. Bye. Okay, bye, bye. hon. Bye. I like her very much. She is great. Bitsy, my goodness. I mean, oh. Bitsy has a lot of really wonderful women in her life. I know. So like, you've really collected so many wonderful. I was just going to say, I've collected a lot of wonderful women in my life. <laughs> it's creepy. true. Um, <laughs> so no, creepy. She is, she's just such a dear friend to us. And a sweetheart. They are wonderful. Her husband's wonderful. Patterson's great. And she's terrific. I'm so happy we had her on. Well, thank you all again so much for listening. And don't forget to rate the show and leave a review. It really helps people find us. To be continued. Continued.